0: All right, come on in. Still got some people trickling in, and uh, we're glad to have you. Uh, We've been studying and engaging in a study called Under the Radar, a study of the Bible's unsung heroes. And last week, in our study, we continued uh, our Bible study of these unsung heroes, the Bible's greatest figures who may have gone undetected by our 21st century radars, But in their own time, they were very important. When it comes to us, they may not get the emphasis, the spotlight, the fame of some of the larger characters and the larger people in our Bible classes, sermons, and bulletin articles, but in their different ways, they can probably be seen and probably should be seen as the true heroes of their stories. Our first week, if you were with us, we talked about Mordecai. We looked at his life and legacy and how he was persistently humble throughout his life. And that persistently humble faith saved the Hebrew nation. And then we looked at the life of Luke and the impact he had about how he preserved the most detailed account of the life of Jesus. How he preserved the only inspired account of church history that we have. And how he preserved the life of the greatest missionary who ever lived in the life of Paul. Our next week, we looked at the life of Shifra Puah, and Jehoshabah, and how they feared God, and did so regardless of the consequences of who they were opposing. And in doing so, they saved a generation of leaders in Israel and the bloodline of Jesus. And then we looked at the life of Andrew, the forgotten apostle, right? And how every time he gets brought up in Scripture, it seems like he's bringing somebody Jesus, Whether it was his own brother, whether it was a child or a group of Greek men and women, we know that Andrew brought others to the Lord. He knew that if he could just get them in front of Jesus, that Jesus would be able to do the rest. That he would know what to say. That Jesus would know what to do. And then lastly, last week, we looked at the life of Caleb in the Bible's greatest spy story. Uh, We studied the, the life of Caleb and we learned that he was able to reserve his spot in the promised land because he wholly followed God, even when it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense because the size of the city, the size of the people, he wholly followed God even when it wasn't easy, even when his own relatives and friends wanted him stoned, even when the majority disagreed with him. He still wholly followed God. And because of his example, we learn that if we will decide to be all in the way that he was, then there's no telling what we will be able to accomplish for the cause of Christ. And that has been our goal this quarter, is it not? To find our purpose in the cause of Christ to look at these different unsung heroes and learn how we can emulate them in our own lives as we try to find out where we fit into the family of God. As we try to discover what function and role that God wants us to play and to have. And we said it the first week, we, we, we don't have to be the most important piece of the body. The most important piece of the body is the head and who is the head of the body? Well that is Jesus. So none of us can be the most important part we can't be the eye, we can't be the hand, we, we may not even be the foot. But if we're the pinky toe, right? I mean, just if we're an unimportant, seemingly unimportant piece of the body, then that's all that God asks us to be. To one He gave one talent, to another two, to another five. And so when God gives you the talents He gave you, He expects us to use those talents whether it is the one, whether it is the two, or whether it is the five. And we need to use them for His glory. This quarter, if we can just look at these unsung heroes, we may finally be able to discover what it is we can do for the cause of Christ. With that, we're we're ready to begin our study tonight. If the slide will go, there it goes. Ready to begin our study tonight... In our study tonight, we're going back to the New Testament. We're going to be studying about a citizen of the town of Joppa. uh, Someone who has two names. Someone who is known as a disciple. We're going to be talking about a woman. A woman of who it was said that she was full of good works and charitable deeds. A woman so important to the church that she had to be raised from the dead. Many of you may have already guessed it by now, but we're going to be studying the life of Tabitha. Or maybe you know her better as Dorcas. Dorcas' story takes place in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 36 through 43. And I'd encourage you to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Before we get into our text, I want to take a moment to just talk about what's kind of surrounding our text tonight, what's surrounding our text as we get into it in our passage of emphasis tonight. I want to see what's happening right prior to that. As we know, in Acts chapter 9, Saul has just become Paul. He he was the greatest threat to the church, but now he has become the greatest evangelist and the greatest asset for the church. And we find him speaking boldly in the name of Jesus, according to verse 29. And then in verse thirty-one of chapter nine, it says, "Then the churches throughout all Judea and Samaria, and uh, excuse me, in Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied." And so we see that the church is just growing like wildfire. It's multiplying greatly all throughout Judea, all throughout Galilee, all throughout Samaria. They had peace. They were edified. They were one together in the fear of the Lord, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And then in verses 32 through 35, we see an interesting story about how Peter is in the town of Lydda and he healed a paralyzed, bedridden man who had been there for eight years. Eight years he had been paralyzed and bedridden. But Peter comes in and heals him through the power of God. And so as we get into our text tonight, I understand that the gospel, the church, is growing. It's spreading like wildfire. Paul is preaching, Peter's healing, and the church is growing like never before. And now it's time to get into our text tonight, beginning in Verse 36. It says, At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. And before we go on in our text, let's just talk about, well, before we even talk about this verse, I want to talk about something. I wanted to go back and remember our study from our study of the life of Luke. And we talked a little bit about how Luke was the one who wrote about more about women in the Gospels than any other Gospel account. Luke was the one who wrote about all of the women that the other Gospel writers did not choose to write about. And so isn't it interesting tonight as we look at Acts 9, as as we look at the book of Acts, aren't we blessed to have had Luke to be the one recording these amazing examples of women in the Acts of the Apostles the same as he did in the Gospel of Luke. Because stories like Priscilla, stories like Lydia, and stories like ours tonight in Doricus are preserved because of Luke. And I just think that's a pattern that's fascinating, and I hope that you're blessed to see that. But back to our text, back, back to verse 36. It says we have this woman named Tabitha. She's from the town, this city called Joppa. Well, when it comes to her name, her Aramaic name was Tabitha, and her Greek name was Dorcas. What you may not know, if you look in the column, if you have that in your Bible, it might tell you what these names mean. But these names are the equivalent of the graceful animal that we know as a gazelle. Some people like to make a lot about that. I don't know much about gazelles, so we're not going to do it. But there you go. There's an interesting factoid. Her name means gazelle. But what I want to look at when it comes to what she is called is not her name or or what that name might mean, but what else she's called in the text. I think it's important to notice what else she is known as. Luke records her as being a disciple. A disciple. Dorcas was not only just a believer, she was not just some random woman, she was not just some fan of Christianity, just here and, here and gone the next day, Dorcas was known as a disciple. You know, when it comes to being a disciple, a disciple is not just a believer. As we said, it's not just a fan. It's not just someone who follows around. It's, it's someone whose faith is balanced equally with their works. Someone who both has faith and someone who has works a disciple is a student, it's a, a learner, it's a person who takes on the form of their teacher. And that's what Luke calls Dorcas. A disciple. What an amazing name to have attached to you. And the, verse 36 tells us why she gets to be called that. A disciple. The text says in the New King James that she was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Let's look at some other translations. I just read the New King James to you. The ESV says that she was full of good works and acts of charity. The New American Standard Update says she, was, she excelled in acts of kindness and charity, which she did habitually. And the NIV tells us that she was always doing good and helping the poor. And so for a moment, I want to just look at these translations of this same verse and just kind of combine them together to where we can understand our unsung hero tonight, Dorcas. And you might say that this is who Dorcas was. This is all those translations just combined together. This is is what I came up with. Doricus was always full of and excelled in good works, acts of kindness, and in acts of charity, helping the poor habitually. What a sentence to be said about you, am I right? What a sentence, what a thought to have said about you. What if someone had said about you that you made it your habit to excel in kindness? When they talked about you, they said that you made it a habit to be full of good works, that you made it a habit to be excellent in your acts of charity. That when it came to helping the poor, there was simply no question as to whether you would. There was no question as to if you would be willing to. There was simply the realization that you would do it. Not only that you would know what to do, but you would know how to do it. That is simply who Dorcas was. What if that could be said about you? And for some of us, that does apply to you. But tonight... Let's look at this unsung hero and realize how amazing and what a goal it would be for someone to say this about us. You know, I want to take a minute and just explain how essential people like Doricus were to the multiplying of the church and people like Doricus today, how important they are to the multiplying of the church. You see, when we look at the book of Acts, we see people like Peter, Paul, and Barnabas, and others. They would come into a city, they would convert so many people to Christianity, they would establish all of these leaders, and they would stay a while with them, and build them up, and teach them, and then guess what? They'd have to leave. They'd have to leave, and they'd have to go to the next city and start the process all over again. And my question is tonight, have you ever stopped to think, about the tremendous weight put on those congregations after those pillars would leave. After Peter and Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and all the other great pillars of the church, after they left, have you ever wondered why so many of these congregations like Corinth, Galatia, Thessalonica, why they all had so many problems? Well, it's because Peter and Paul and all their leaders had to leave. And there were others who had to step up. Because you see, it's not like Paul or Peter could be there day in and day out, holding their hands, making the decisions for them. We have to realize that these were babes in Christ who had to carry out the day-to-day decision-making for the church. Now I realize and I understand that these people had a certain measure of the gift of the Holy Spirit. They had knowledge, they, they had, they had miraculous supernatural powers because of the laying of the hands. But the fact that we don't read about all the other issues that are in the churches, that's what's amazing to me. That's more amazing to me than the fact that Corinth was a little messed up. Is the fact that it wasn't more messed up than it was. Because these people, these babes in Christ, had to be the leaders after the pillars left. And I think we need to realize when people like Paul or Peter had to leave, it was people like Dorcas. It was men and women like Dorcas who had to step up and sustain the entire church on their shoulders in their absence. It was men and women like Dorcas who grew into becoming pillars themselves. And it was the people that for 2,000 plus years have been unsung heroes until tonight in our study that we're highlighting. Those people that sustained the church after the pillars left. And Dorcas was obviously one of those disciples and one of those pillars that sustained the church in Joppa. Let's continue to read in Acts chapter 9 and verse 37. It says, But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. We'll stop right there. You know, as we have experienced this year, and as we've studied on Sunday nights in our studies of Ecclesiastes, it doesn't matter how righteous you live, It doesn't matter how great of a disciple you are, a follower of God, how much faith you have, how many works you do. Physical death comes to every single one of us. Physical death comes to every one of us, and some of the greatest pillars of the church I've ever known have gone in the last few months. That's just the fact of life. And it's no different in our text here tonight when it comes to Dorcas. Even though she had become the pillar of the church that we just talked about, even though she was full of good works, full of charitable deeds, even though she was a disciple in the truest sense of the word, we see that she suddenly became sick and died. Her friends and family couldn't do anything about it, all they could do was prepare the body for burial. And so they washed her and they probably anointed her as was their custom. And they placed her in an upper room. I want you to imagine the scene that is about to unfold. Many of us have felt this pain before. I want you to imagine the pain that these friends are feeling, these these families are feeling at the loss of, of their pillar. I want you to imagine what the church must have felt to have lost such a vital and essential part of their Christian family. A person who was so crucial to the growth of the church there and a person who left behind her such big shoes and example to be followed. Something amazing happens between the lines between verse 37 and 38. Between verses 37 and 38 the other disciples in Joppa had obviously heard about what Peter had done for Aeneas in Lydia. In verses 32 and following. You see because Joppa was only 8 miles away from Lydda, and so the fame of that healing of Aeneas who was paralyzed for 8 years would have spread like wildfire. And so the disciples in Joppa had obviously heard about this. They, they, they knew within their own hearts and their own mind that even though Dorcas had been dead for quite a while, they believed, they fully believed that Peter could do something about it. They fully believed within their hearts that Peter could have done something. For a moment I want you to wonder with me what these disciples thought. Peter could do about this situation. What compelled them to go to Lydda? To ask him to come? What compelled them? What emotion came over them that made them go the eight miles one way to go and ask Peter to come and do something about it? Could it be that they thought Doricus was just too big of an influence to lose? That she was just too much to lose too quickly. I think we've all felt that about our loved ones. And I think that could be the the case with these disciples here in Joppa. They understood that the loss of Dorcas was just simply too much to bear. And that surely Peter could do something about it through the power of God. So that's what they do. They go to Lydda and they implore him that please come to Joppa as quickly as possible. They plead with him. They beg him, do not delay in coming to us. Let's read verse verse 39. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. Let's stop right there. So here in this verse, either Peter knew of Dorcas himself and the impact that she had, or as these disciples described to him the impact, the type of person Dorcas was, he learned everything about her and said, I gotta go i got to go to Joppa, and i got to do something about this. So he wasn't going to wait a day. He wasn't going to wait the weekend. He doesn't wait a while. He goes with them back to Joppa immediately. And then the text says they enter the room. They enter the upper room. And I love the imagery that Luke includes here. All the widows stood by Peter. It says that they were weeping. They were weeping at the loss of their spiritual giant. And they started to show Peter all the all the clothes that she had made them, all the tunics and all the garments. All the things that she had taken her time, her money, and had made with her own hands. These widows are showing Peter all that she had done for them. And they were weeping and mourning. You know, James said, in James chapter 1 and verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Dorcas understood that. These widows had been personally impacted by our unsung hero tonight, who the text said had excelled in good works and in charitable deeds for them, who had made it her habit to be kind to them and to help them any way that she could. Do you see the picture? As these women surround her body with all the things that she had made for them. Can you see Peter touching the, 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 the garments realizing the impact that Doric has had on these people? Let's read verse 40. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Let's stop right there. You know, isn't it interesting that Peter put them out? It says he put them out so that he could pray to God. You know, it's almost as if the surroundings were just too much for him to bear. These widows that were showing him the very garments Dorcas had made, it was just too much for him to bear. It was too much for him to focus. It was too much for him to be able to pray to God. The weeping that was happening around him was probably overcoming him. You know, there's no difference when it comes to the life of Jesus and how Jesus was overcome with emotion to the point that it said Jesus wept in John 11 and verse 35 at the loss of Lazarus. It's no different in the life of Jesus when He raised the widow son of Nain in Luke chapter 7, that He was overcome with compassion for them. Peter had to be alone with God. And so when he gets that time, he tells her to arise and immediately She saw Peter and sat up in the bed. Now obviously the text doesn't talk much about this, but I do want to take a moment and and discuss this. You know, we may never know the answer to this, but isn't it interesting to think about where Dorcas had just been? where Dorcas had just been. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, He looked at the man beside Him and He told him, Today, you will be with Me in paradise. So obviously we know that for those who are faithful, we go to paradise. And when it comes to Dorcas, We've got to realize that Dorcas was gone when it comes to this life. She was not on Earth anymore. She was not just passed out. She was not just sleeping. She was physically dead. She was spiritually alive in paradise. But isn't it interesting? that God found within her something so essential that He allowed her to go back to earth. Have you thought about that? Do you realize the gravity of what's happening in our passage tonight? You know, it's obvious to the people in Joppa that they realized that this was just too great of a loss to suffer, so they went after Peter to ask him for help. But it is even more striking and amazing to note that God must have agreed with them. God would not have raised her from the dead just for kicks. God would not have raised her from the dead to flex his muscles or to show off his power. God raised Dorcas from the dead because he knew that her work on earth was not complete. And I can't tell you how many times I've read this passage and just glossed over what just happened. What just occurred in the text. Here you have someone who was literally dead. She was so dead that they had already prepared for her burial. And in a moment, in the blink of an eye, she is awake and she is back. Can you imagine the story she could tell of what she might have seen, of what what it was like on the other side? Do you think that she might have met some of the heroes of faith? There Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom. Do you think that Dorcas got to witness some of that? And I don't want to get too wrapped up into this, but have you ever thought of that part of this story? Of the eyewitness testimony that she would have to tell. But let's get back to our text. Peter helps her out of the bed and called the saints and widows back into the room, and there she was. He presented her alive. And let's read verse 42. It said, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. You see, the supernatural nature of this miracle spread even wilder than what Peter did with Aeneas and Lydda. Because someone who was literally dead was now alive, and a pillar of the church had been restored through the power of God. And ultimately, because of this power that was displayed, the Bible says, many believed on the Lord. And that is the story of the life of Dorcas. But when it comes to us tonight, what a truly amazing story that we have in this greatest unsung hero in all of Scripture, one of the greatest. Kevin, can you proceed the slide? Kevin, slide please. I think my thing is broke. Broken. There we go. As we look to us tonight, I want want us to understand that not a single word is ever recorded from Dorcas. We don't get a single word from her. We don't get a single thought, a single sentence, a record of anything else she ever did with the rest of her life. But even though books aren't named after her, sermons aren't often preached on her, and we've only ever thought this chapter was good for Saul's conversion... We may not have focused on this story for a while, but she still remains one of the greatest unsung heroes in all the Bible. How many others can say that they were raised from the dead? It's a very short list. But our unsung hero was. When it comes to us, you might be thinking tonight, how can I be like Dorcas? I'm not a pillar of the church. I, at least I don't think I am. I'm I'm not so vital to the church that if I were there, if I weren't there, people would mourn. People might not even notice I'm gone. I'm definitely not in a position to be raised from the dead. Well, the truth is that none of us in this room tonight or watching online can be like Peter, who simply prayed to God and raised someone from the dead. We may not be able to be like Peter, but every single one of us can be like Dorcas. Dorcas, who made it her habit to excel in good works and charitable deeds every single day of her life. Dorcas wasn't preaching the gospel, she wasn't baptizing, she wasn't doing what Peter and Paul were doing, she was doing everything that Peter and Paul weren't doing though she was there to follow up when they couldn't Dorcas had a servant heart Dorcas did not just sit around thinking about all the things she couldn't do in the church she went about giving all the things that she could do for the church and that's the difference that's what makes her one of the Bible's greatest unsung heroes. And at a time where all these men were doing immeasurable things for the kingdom of God, Dorcas did what she could do for the kingdom of God. And though her impact might seem simple to us and easy to measure, I think it's time we realize God thought it was worth sending her back to earth for her me- for What she could do. Doricus embodied Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, where Paul would say, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not, not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Dorcas lived out the example of Jesus in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, where he said, "For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many." Dorcas knew that even if she could speak in tongues, if she could prophesy, if she could understand mysteries, if she had all knowledge, if she had faith that could move a mountain, she knew that if she had all of that and did not have love. It would have profited her nothing. First Corinthians 13, 1-2 Doric, his servant heart, was so precious in the sight of God he knew the world needed to witness more of it. You know, one of the most incredible things about ministry to me, Kyle and Jay are both in here, I hope they feel this way too. One of the most incredible things in ministry to me is when you choose lessons that you're going to do in a series like this. When you're thinking about a series like this, you, 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 you think about all the trajectory of all the different classes that you could possibly do on it and, and you write it down. and you might write it, I have an overview of what I wanted to do. You get an overall plan together of how the quarter is going to go and, and the different lessons that you're going to do and the main points of those lessons and then you flesh it out from there. And, as a, and when it comes to ministry, more times than not for me, the messages you get to talk about often fall right in line with what you're currently experiencing in your life. So many times... I will plan a series or or, a lesson here weeks, months in advance. And then right when it's time for me to do that lesson, something going on in my life applies to it so keenly. And tonight's no different. You can choose to believe this or not, but I had randomly chosen to speak about Dorcas on January 20th, 2021, right now, today. I had decided to speak on Dorcas before Thanksgiving. Before Thanksgiving, I decided to speak on the life of Dorcas on this night. And little did I know that yesterday I was going to be an eyewitness to a current day, Dorcas. Many of you know our newest brother, James McDonald. If you don't know James or you haven't seen about him or read his story, James is a homeless man in Athens, Georgia. One day, James was in such severe pain that he passed out in the parking lot of a McDonald's. One of the workers at McDonald's found him there with blood all over himself, and he was lying on the ground, passed out. And so she called an ambulance. And that ambulance took James to St. Mary's Hospital, where a relatively new nurse would be taking care of him. And that nurse was Christy Howard. The first day that Christy was tending to James, she tried to put the tube in in his throat. And he said it was terribly painful. So he requested a different nurse. So she comes back the next day and and the charge nurse tells her that uh, he's requested a different nurse. I'm not going to give him one. You go in there with confidence and you get the job done. And so she did she, she laughed. She said, I did a better job that time because he didn't complain. So she continued to be his nurse. And she was overcome with compassion for James. And so she immediately began to see how she could help him find a place to live, have some transportation back and forth to Augusta. And so one of those days, she called Jay and I. And she asked if we'd be willing to take him to an appointment with a doctor in Augusta who had agreed to see James for free. And so we took him. And we had a great time with him on the way. We talked about sports. Uh, We we talked about his hometown of Miami and what it was like to live there. And then one, one of the times when we were in a lull of a conversation, I just asked him, were you a good ball player back in the day? he responded, he said, big man, that's what he called me, big man, you kidding me? If they threw you down the field, I could catch it. So we had a good time with James, and, and, and we went all the way to Augusta with him, and we went to his appointment. We were getting to know him, and as I was in uh, the appointment with him, Jay was out getting him a bag of, of essentials, uh, full of clothes and toiletries and other stuff that he needed. This is him at the appointment. This is August 27th, right before he was going to receive the news that he had terminal aggressive cancer in his throat and in his mouth. I had to text Christy the news that the doctor had just given us, and she said immediately, I quote, I pray first for spiritual healing. Then, no matter what happens, we can face that with our Savior, end quote. And on the way home, we had to grapple the news that James had terminal cancer the same time he did right along with them. And since that time, Christy has gotten so many people to help James, whether it be for different trips to appointments, people to encourage him. Maybe you have been one of those people. Jay and I have visited him a few times throughout the way. But this past Sunday, Christy had told me that James had just received the news that even after all the chemo and radiation and drastic measures that they had taken, that there was still little chance that he would make it through the year 2021. She told us he was dejected, that he needed some encouragement. And so I went to Jay and we said, let's go Tuesday to see him. And so we did. And on the way to Athens, we talked about our approach and, and what we were going to do and how we were going to talk to him and how what we needed to say to encourage him and how we needed to pray with him and how we were going to just come back to Buford and go right back along with our day. Because of the cancer and the chemo surgeries, as we sat down with James, we realized he couldn't even speak anymore. And so James had to write his responses with a notepad and a pen. And what started out as a friendly conversation turned into a pretty amazing Bible study after James said he was thinking about starting to go to church. When he said that, that opened the door for us to talk to him about his salvation. And after studying Acts 2 with him, we asked James if he was saved. And he wrote down, not really. And I asked him why, and he said it's because he wasn't baptized for forgiveness, as we had studied with him. So then he said, I want to be saved. And we asked him, how could you do that? He said, I need to be baptized. And we told him that we could make that happen today. And so then he wrote down on the notepad, he wrote where. And we gave him a few options, and then he wrote when. And we told him, as soon as we can find enough water. And then he wrote, I want to be baptized. And I want to do it at the place I met Christy. That was the St. Mary's Hospital, but due to certain regulations, both valid and invalid in my opinion, uh, we couldn't do it there. So we decided to do it at a congregation. After many hours of filling the baptistry up to the bare minimum depth we would need to get him under, and after coordinating with Christy on how we could get her off of work in the middle of a shift, there we were, in the water, ready to baptize him. James has a hole in his trachea that is used for his breathing. So we were concerned about how the water would get inside and and how that would work and the logistics behind that. And so once we got in the water, the plan was to have him sit down, to have Jay hold the cloth on his neck and for me to baptize him. But James motioned to Jay to give him the cloth and he put it on his own throat. And he started to forcefully point to the ground because he was ready to just get it done. You see, it had been multiple hours since we had decided that this was going to be happening today, and he was ready to be baptized. And so I knew it was time to baptize him, and, and we did we baptized him in James McDonald, A homeless, terminally ill cancer patient put on Christ in baptism and is 100% ready to meet the Lord in the 11th hour of his life. Because Christy Howard had a servant heart. She prayed first for spiritual healing, and that is exactly the prayer that God answered. I want you to put your name in this definition of who Dorcas was. And I want you to ask yourself, can this apply to you tonight? Because I can put Christy's name in there and fully believe that it applies to her. Can you say, Ben was always full full of and excelled in good works, acts of kindness and in acts of charity, helping the poor habitually. You know, it should be said of all of us that when our time is up, that we were always full of and excelled in good works, acts of kindness, acts of charity, helping the poor habitually. And this year, at Buford, we have that ability, that opportunity, and the possibilities to do just that. A few weeks ago, we studied the life of Andrew and how he brought people to Jesus. And we focused in on the go in the go and do of our yearly theme. Tonight, we're talking about the do in our yearly theme. Because it's time that we make service our habit. The same way our unsung hero, Dorcas, did. This year we're challenged to become His hands and feet. It's going to take a lot of people. It's going to take a lot of hands. It's going to take a lot of feet but if we go and do like Jesus told us to yesterday told me prove to me that he will do the rest if service is not our habit if it makes us uncomfortable if it makes us feel like someone else should do that then we may have missed the point of Christianity altogether. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many. James MacDonald from a homeless cancer patient to a child of God. Thank you for your attention. We're going to be closing a word of prayer by our brother James Howard.